Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? DJ Bucky here, Move the Sticks. And, uh, Buck, man, we've got an eclectic show today. That's the way I'm going to call this show. What do you think? I mean, yeah, we're we're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to do a little pro. We're going to do a little college. We're going to talk a little combine stuff. A little bit of everything we got on this podcast. Yeah, we got everything covered here. We've got some guys that are coming out that have announced – uh, they're going to be entering the NFL draft. We can touch on those a little bit later on. We've got a really, really fascinating interview with our buddy Ryan Flaherty, who is uh, is head uh, of performance at Nike. So he's in charge of training a lot of these athletes, not only for the combine, but then continues to work with them during their professional careers. Guys like you know Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, uh, Saquon Barkley, on and on and on. Uh, he works with a lot of those guys. So we're going to have a, a real fascinating chat with him. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the uh, top position groups. Going to go ahead and put it out there. Our top position groups in the NFL. Have some fun with that. And uh, what else? We got a little college football recap. And I think we're going to start here with a little Monday night football recap. I mean, how about that? That Monday night game was uh, fantastic. One, Marcus Mariota. I don't know if you can play better. How do you lose as that? a position when you have not even close? The they lost by seventeen. <laughs> the numbers that he put up, but then they absolutely get whooped by seventeen. Um, it's kind of unbelievable. And the fact that you were in the stadium to watch Phillip Rivers set a record and Marcus Mariota was challenging that record. I was like, is oh, he yeah. going to break Phillip Rivers after one day? That would be the shortest <laughs> record that we've ever seen when it comes to it. But, look, the thing about the Tennessee Titans and Marcus Mariota, he completed 22 of 23 passes, 303 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And he did it in a workmanlike fashion. The one thing that is a little frustrating when you watch the Titans – they don't take enough shots. They don't take enough shots down the field. And I don't know if it's a personnel deal. I don't know what it is, but when your quarterback is playing like that, you have to get more points out of that kind of efficient performance. And the only way you can do that is by getting these chunk plays. They just don't generate enough chunk plays with their offense. Yeah, the one chunk play, the big chunk play they had was just kind of underneath pass with busted coverage of Johnny Smith. Um, that that looks great in the box score, but really not pushing the ball vertically. 
uh, all that much. And then on the other side of things, to me, again, I, I feel like I, I just keep just banging this home each and every time we do these podcasts. But what works in the postseason? How do you get? How do you make a deep run? How do you win a championship? I keep coming back to the same thing, Buck. You gotta have two things. You gotta have a hot quarterback, and you gotta have a pass rush. And that's the one thing about this Houston team. They they can have both. Now the numbers for Deshaun Watson, they put him out there. What he is in primetime games versus just regular old run of the mill Sunday games. He's a totally different quarterback. When the lights are bright, he's at his best. And guess what? The lights are pretty bright in the playoffs. No, you know, and and that's the one thing that I think we can't underestimate as we're beginning to kind of cast our ass to the college game and look at these prospects that are going to make their way to the 2019 draft. Let's look at how they performed in these big games, championship games, these premier bowl games. Those things matter. Those things kind of translate to the next level. The one thing that we could talk about Deshaun Watson in every big game, for the most part, he looked like the best player on the field. We saw it in back-to-back championship games. We saw it in multiple high-end games where there was a lot of attention on those primetime games that he played in. He played pretty well in those. And I think we have seen that the game isn't too big for him at the NFL level. It's something that we definitely need to look at when we're evaluating players, particularly quarterbacks, because that stage and how they perform, it really, really does matter when you get into the postseason. No question. And now you start to look at this pass rush. I'm, I'm pulling up their, uh, their season stats here. When you look at J.J. Watt with 11 and a half sacks, Clowney's got seven. Uh, uh, Merciless has got three and a half, so he gives you a little something there. Uh, they've got, shoot, Tyron Matthews got three sacks, Blitzen. Uh, Covington's got two and a half. So they, they've got a bunch of different guys that are contributing uh, as pass rushers, and not just J.J. Watt, Jadevian Clowney. They've got a bunch of guys that are heating up quarterbacks, and that's going to be something they're going to need coming down the stretch. Uh, man, their game this week, going to see them against the Browns. is going to be fun to watch. Uh, two hot teams right now, the Browns coming off their big win, and then they get the Colts. Uh, they're going to go on the road for a couple at the Jets, at the Eagles, and finish up against a Jaguars team that will have their bags packed and be uh, halfway uh, out the door for vacation at that point in time. So uh, they've got a chance to ro- roll off some wins here. Yeah, they do. Um, and, and this is a team, like it's funny because you talk about the quarterback and I'm looking at Deshaun Watson, I'm looking at his numbers. Um, man, it has been six straight games that he has had fewer than 300 yards. And, in fact, in two of those games he had under 200 But the thing that we're seeing with the Houston Texans and it's thing that we've always talked about when it comes to young quarterbacks, running game is their best friend. And the Houston Texans have decided to make a more concerted effort to run the ball, and it's really paying huge dividends. Last night they had 281 yards on the ground, and it's been kind of a theme for them that they've been very, very successful kind of approaching it that way. And looking since week six, Deshaun Watson's pass attempts, 25-24 20, 24, 24, 24. So the last six games, they're not throwing over 25 times. So we talk about putting guys and keeping them on the pitch count. This is a great way to develop your young quarterback. Don't expose them to a lot of unnecessary stuff. Put him out there. He has to throw, but control the game and let him gradually grow into being the franchise quarterback, the playmaker at the position. Yeah, no doubt. And the Tennessee Titans, they just kind of continue their roller coaster. I mean, they, they win impressively, and then they lose by double digits. You just don't know what you're going to get from them uh, on a week-to-week basis. I don't know. Like I, I, I watch that football team. I know they've still got a shot here uh, to get into the postseason, but uh, too up and down, too uneven for me to get all that fired up about. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they are what they are. I think they're they're kind of like that that average team, that eight and eight, seven and nine, nine and seventeen, depending on how the ball balances on a given day. Um, 
they don't have what I would call like a lot of like A-level playmakers, particularly on offense. Whatever you think about Marcus Mariota, I think he obviously is their best offensive player. I don't know who else offensively scares you when you face that team. And at some point when they're looking at building this team and building this offense around him, they got to make sure they surround them with more blue-chip players. Solid team, good team, not a great team when we think about how they play and how they have to compete with the other teams in AFC. No doubt. Uh, no doubt we'll see what happens with both these teams going forward. The Indianapolis Colts still hanging around there. Uh, I'll be interested to see how that division ends up shaking out when it's all said and done. All right, Buck, I'm, I'm excited about this. Let's, uh, let's go position groups and let's identify who we think is the premier position group in the NFL. I say we start in the top backfield. Who do you think? Oh, man, let's do it, and I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints. I'm on record saying that their running backs are the best running back duo to ever play in the National Football League, and I stand on that. But then when you throw in Drew Brees, who is arguably the most efficient and accurate quarterback in NFL history, I just think it's tough to find a backfield that can match where the New Orleans Saints can match and bring to the table each and every week. Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, Drew Brees, I don't know if you can find a better trio in the backfield than those guys. I agree with you. I mean, you look at what they can do from the quarterback position is make explosive plays. What they don't do, turn the football over. That's what Drew Brees has done all season long, probably going to be the MVP of the NFL this year. And then the complementary skills that you have in the backfield, everything Kamara can do as a slasher, catching the ball out of the backfield, and then you get some of that physicality uh, with Ingram. I think that is the best backfield in the NFL. We're looking for the top receiving core in the NFL. This one's tough, Buck. What are we thinking? Man, I'm thinking uh, Kirk Cousins made a great, selection when he picked the Minnesota Vikings because he stepped into arguably the best wide receiver core in the game. These are the best pass catches that you can find. Uh, Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen, two guys who can be interchangeable number one receivers on the perimeter. They get it done. They can win versus man. They can win versus zone. They do a great job of making catch and run plays, and they can come down with 50-50 balls. There are a lot of great one-two punches, but I don't know if anyone is as talented as this group, nor are they more effective winning consistently week in, week out against all kinds of coverage. Yeah, you got to mention the tight end there too and Kyle Rudolph. And Kyle Rudolph, you've seen it in a couple games against the Packers. He's been a big-time impact player. With his size, he's just a natural mismatch player, especially get down in the red zone. You can throw that ball up above the crossbar. He'd go up and get it. He's just got tremendous catch radius and range there. So you've got the quickness. You've got wide receivers that can play inside, outside, and you've got a big tight end that's a matchup problem. So I think that is the most impressive receiving core in the NFL, especially when we include that tight end position. I know there's some arguments can be made. Kansas City with what they have, uh, pretty darn impressive. But I, I just like I just like the, the you can do everything with these wide receivers in Minnesota. That's why I go there as well. Yeah, you do. But as much as we talk about the, the sexy players on the outside, the games are won in the trenches. And when you think about offensive lines, what's the best offensive line that comes to mind? Well, I almost went back to the Saints. We mentioned them a little bit earlier, but I'm going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers, the job that they've done, getting James Conner cranked up this year, no Levy and Bell. They've, they've stepped their game up and played at a very high level, and they can pass protect as well. You know, Ben is going to hold on to the ball for a while, so he kind of he'll get himself into some trouble at times. But this is a physical offensive line that's also athletic. They can bang the ball inside. They can get out to the perimeter. And they've got a little nasty to them. So I, I would go with that Pittsburgh Steelers group as the top group. But what, like I said, Buck, that, uh, that Saints group has had a great year. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think these are 1A and 1B. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have done it collectively. They've done a great job of really being able to elevate James Conner's game. They protected Big Ben Roethlisberger well, and that's why their offense has been able to create explosive plays. The New Orleans Saints have been just as good. They knock you off the ball. They can run the football with Kamar and Ingram. I don't know if you can go wrong, but for this conversation, we're going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, let's go, uh, let's go over the defensive side of the ball, defensive front. So we're kind of looking at that front seven collectively. And, again, so some really good options there. What do you think? I'm going to go to Chicago Bears. The trade acquisition that they were able to make in the preseason when they were able to get Khalil Mack pushed him over the top. Khalil Mack has been a monster for them uh, on the outside. He can do it all. Look, he's the only guy to earn all pro honors at outside linebacker and DN. He has done and he has come in and brought that same kind of nastiness, that attitude and production there. But then when you think about Akeem Hicks being able to be a factor on the he's inside, dominant. Eddie Goldman also being a contributor. This Bears defense is good because they own the line of scrimmage. I love what I look at when I look at the Bears play each and every week. Yeah, Max been dominant, everything and more, and what they hope for. And then I'll tell you what, the underrated person in their front seven, Danny Trevathan, who's one of the better coverage linebackers in the NFL, one of the more instinctive linebackers in the NFL. Roquan Smith, you see a little bit of the roller coaster ride there with the rookie, but the talent is undeniable. He's going to continue to grow and improve. Uh, he's going to be an outstanding football player. How about player. Leonard Floyd? I, I, Leonard, Floyd yeah, Leonard Floyd also Floyd being a guy that all can day long. I mean, they have a team that is well positioned. That defense, man, that defense should be good for the next five to six years. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I go with the Bears there as well. Top secondary, Bucky. I think we go to the AFC North. What do you think? Yeah, we can go to the AFC North. We can go with, man, the Bird game. We can go with the Baltimore Ravens and what they do. When I look at this secondary, to me, it starts in the middle. We work inside out. Tony Jefferson, Eric Weddle, to do a great job of controlling the middle of the field. And then when you look outside, Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, they're still getting contributions from Brandon Carr. This is a team that plays great defense in the back end. They can lock you up in man-to-man. They can give you exotic disguises and zone blitzes and also play traditional straight zone coverage. It's because of the versatility, the collective high IQ of their back end. The Baltimore Ravens have an outstanding secondary. They deserve to be in this conversation. Yeah, you got the size and the athletes on the outside, and then on the inside you've got the instincts and the awareness and the ball skills of their safety duo. So I, I think it is a beautiful combination they have there in the secondary for the Baltimore Ravens. And I, I'm with you, Bucky. I do believe that is the best secondary in the NFL. All right, Buck, excited to be joined by our good buddy. Get a chance to talk with him in the spring each and every year. Wanted to bring him in a little bit earlier this time. He is a senior director of performance at Nike. Ryan Flaherty joins the show. Ryan, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you guys doing? Doing great, man. I, I want to just ask you, first of all, uh, can you believe that we're almost to the end of the football season and we're going to be start start getting ready for the draft here before you know it? How, how do we get here so fast? I don't know, man. It, it seems to be shorter every single year. I feel like it's a nine-month calendar year. <laughs> now it's, it's, it's just insane. I mean, already talking to the kids of, you know, about training and, and agents are calling. It's, it's, yeah, it's starting to heat up already. It's crazy. You know, Ryan, I, I'm really fascinated by the process. Obviously, when I was coming out in 94, we didn't have this kind of boutique training where you could get specialized training to get ready for the combine. Can you kind of walk us through the process that you take the athletes through from the time they walk through the doors of your building to the time they get ready to perform in Indianapolis at the combine? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, so generally I'll start talking to, to the you know the kids and their families um, after their last regular season games, so before the bowl game in the month of December, meet with families and kind of get a feel for who I'm going to work with. And then 
Um, they all land pretty much like the day or two two days after the bowl game. So if they're playing on January 1, New Year's 6 bowl game, they'll come in on the 2nd or 3rd. Um, and then once they get there, um, they move into a, like a little you know condo or apartment. Um, we do the training down in Orange County, California, so in Southern California, um, between L.A. and San Diego. And uh, they move into a little condo there, and, and we, we get going. And we have about – usually when they start in early January, we have about seven to eight weeks to get them ready for the, the combine. And um, so we got about eight weeks of training. And, you know, the days are Monday through Saturday um, – we usually do like a speed or, you know, agility training on the field session in the morning, the position work, and then we'll go in the weight room in the afternoon. Um, and there would be generally from like 8 a.m. to, to 2 o'clock p.m. Um, in and out of, you know, training or, or meetings or interview prep or kind of film study or whatever. Um, and a lot of the agents kind of put that stuff on. And then and then it goes all the way up until the, the, the combine. And then once they hit the combine, you know, they'll test and then, and then they'll come back and we'll get them ready leading up to the pro day. Um, but it's it's a full range of you know physical therapy assessments of injury prevention you know looking at risk of injury based on imbalances and asymmetries. So we try to get a, a deep look into their bodies of understanding exactly what they got going on and figuring out how we can help them perform at their best, not only at the combine but also in their rookie season. Because most of these kids are coming off of you know a college career, usually two, you know three to four years in the college level. Um, you know, where they train as a team and, and everybody does the same thing. It, 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 what happens, though, and ultimately leads to is the one way we can know we can assess risk of injury is two ways. First is injury history, but number two is imbalances. So we'll really get a, an assessment of that early on, and then that'll go into their training program leading up to the combine. I love how it's just position-specific, how you how you work these guys out and get them ready not only to be successful in terms of timing and testing, uh, but to help them to be durable players once they, they get to the NFL. When it comes to the uh, the timing and testing, though, and this could be any anything from, from body fat or in terms of how they improve their jumps or running. What was the most – can you think of an example? You don't even have to give me a name, but just like how dramatic of an improvement can you make from the beginning of the training process, which, again, starts after these bowl games, some of these teams – uh, won't be in bowl games, but from the beginning of the training process, when you do your baseline testing to when they go and perform at their com at the combine or at their pro day, I mean, how how dramatic of a result can you get in that amount of time? Yeah, I mean, it, it just depends. I think so. If you have an athlete who is starting already at a pretty high level, for example, like if he comes in and the first day we test him on an electronic timing system, he runs a four six or something or four five, you know, you'll see probably like a, anywhere between probably around two tenths of a second improvement in 40 there. Um, and then, and from, you know, a strength, um, you know, I, I they'll, they'll, they'll definitely improve their strength. It just depends on where they're starting from. But, it, but an example of an athlete I've had would be, I got a quarterback who over the course of six weeks working together, he lost 31 pounds, um, improved his 40 yard dash half a second. So um, 0.5, you know, five tenths of a second in this 40, um, six inches in vertical jump. So there's a big, big time improvement, but he also had a long way to go. So it, it kind of just depends on where they're starting from and kind of what they're coming from. You know, it, it, it's kind of a, and I, and I get it because I, I work with a lot of college training coaches um, throughout the, the off season as well. And I think, you know, one of the things like, you know, you get from them is you can't grind those kids all the way through bowl preparation. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're lifting them heavy all the way through that, you're going to have some people breaking down just based on how long the seasons are. So they can't do too much during that time. And so ultimately what happens is the guys you train a little bit throughout that time. So when I get them before the draft, after the bowl game, they're, they're generally kind of in a detrain place. So they're not at the top of their, of their game yet. So they still have some improvement, but yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I mean, an offensive lineman, I had a seven tenths of a second one year. Um, I mean, and you're going from electronic timing systems too. So 
Most yeah. kids are used to running on high hand times, and so they're kind of shocked at what they run when they get there. Um, but you know, yeah, you, I've seen some pretty crazy, crazy uh, changes. You can you can have some big ones depending on where you're starting from. You know, Ryan, I, I think what is interesting, probably the hardest year when it comes to training for athletes that go to the pros, will have to be their rookie season because the training oh, no that doubt. they do with you guys, um, getting ready for the combine and pro days, and then they go right to the team after being drafted, and they go all the way through. You've mentioned before about the imbalances and being able to kind of predict injuries and those things. What are some of the things that you caution your first-year athletes to do to kind of prevent them from kind of grinding themselves to a pulp during that rookie season? No doubt. I mean, I think a big part is actually is is to really – teach them the concept of recovery and rest. I mean, I think most guys don't get the, they don't really quite understand how, how them at 21, 22 years old, isn't going to be them at 25, 26 years old. I mean, even in that short period of time, their bodies are changing really quickly and um, aren't able to recover as fast from, from one training session or one game to the next. And so it's really teaching them exactly how to take care of themselves. And I think that's the biggest thing is we're not, you know, I kind of laugh a lot of times as we, like when you talk, when we talk about the combine training is over the, past like 14 years that I've been doing it it's, it's how much it's changed it's, it's pretty remarkable and crazy um I also like wonder why there, there's so much that goes into it but I'll say this is I think one thing that does come through it is, is you teach these kids through this process of how to be a pro I mean I think a lot of guys what you'll see are the people that you know generally a lot of the strength coaches I work with in the NFL that I talk to all the time say that the biggest issue they have is when guys go off like through in the in the break between OTAs from you know June mm-hmm. where they have off time in July and they come back in August ready for training camp, seventy percent of injuries in the NFL happen in the first two weeks of training camp. So what's happening is basically guys are going into camp without having their tissue prepared for what they're about to endure. You know, like I worked with uh, the Cardinal strength coach when Eric, Bruce Arians was there. Bruce would run one hundred and ten unscripted plays day one of training camp, and if you have if you come in from taking a week off in Bahamas with the family and haven't really worked out the last week, going into camp in the first day, you're a receiver and you're running, you know, 80 routes. I mean, that'll take a, a toll on the body. And that's why so many soft tissue injuries happen. So I think the biggest thing is teaching them really when to push themselves throughout the offseason and when to pull back and let them, their bodies recover. So a good example would be your season ends in January. Take off a month and go travel, go have fun with the family, go spend time, take, get your, give your body a break and then get back in the weight room around March and then push hard, you know, push a decent amount working on, you know, imbalances from March until April when they check into OTAs. And then they really redline in July and July will look like the combine training does for the rookies. So then they ramp up in the volume and, and intensities and then they're ready for training camp. And I think that's the biggest mistake most guys make though, is that they'll take July and just kind of use that as vacation time rather than really hard training. Getting a chance to uh, to flip through some games on on Sundays. I know this. This you work with a bunch of these rookies. Um, yeah. Anything jump out to you when you're watching these rookies? In, in in terms of you just see okay that uh, that definitely correlates to the explosiveness or what I saw working with these guys. Who who jumps out at you? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, I think a good example would be Josh Allen, probably where you you feel like you know, I think everybody nobody was was mistaken in saying that he needed time to develop right we all knew that i mean i knew that working with him i talked to you guys about that i think everybody knew knew josh had needed some time i mean shoot i think every rookie should sit two years i think i i wish every team did that i mean it's just not the the way the game's played anymore but um you know and the kids even know that they know they need time and they're they're young and they need need time to develop but i think josh is showing you know that he's got to use his athleticism running for almost 100 yards um, on 13 carries, I think is is a sign of him having to use his legs to kind of open some things up for the passing game because you know maybe he doesn't have a grasp on, a, on enough of the playbook to be able to open the, the playbook up to 
to have a bunch of options. You know, when Tom Brady sits back there in, you know, however many years he's been in that same offense, over 10 years in the same offense, he's able to have 70 plays at hand where he can audible and check in, in and out of, whereas Josh and Sam and these guys, they maybe have one or two, you know, so they're, they're much more limited in under, the understanding of the playbook. So they got to use their legs. They got to use their athleticism to try to create, create, and, and, you know, it, it, it can win them some games. I think it's not going to win them 10 games, but it'll win them, you know, five mm-hmm. to six um, each year. And they're kind of around that right now. So it, it just takes time. And I think, you know, fan bases just need to be patient. I mean, I had Carson Wentz and Jared Goff and I, I told everybody, look, wait till year four with Jared and Carson will be ready year one. And, and it's pretty much the way it worked out. I mean, everybody called Jared a bust year one and now look at him. So I think, I think it's just a matter of letting them develop, giving them time. You know, I think what it comes down to a lot of times, the reason mistakes are made when in quarterback selections is just, I think that they don't, they don't really take a deep enough look into their, their mindset, their, their discipline, their decision-making, their ability to make choices um, and kind of more of the discipline of what not to do than what to do, truthfully, um, I think is really what makes up a great quarterback just to start. They, they need to be professional day one. And I think Josh and Sam and, you know, Marcus and Carson and Jared, all those guys have that. So I think that's, that's something that's going to come. It's just going to take time for them to develop. And people just need to be, I think, a little patient in letting them get, get their handle on the game and the speed and the playbook. But it'll come. I think, I'm, I think all the guys are doing, doing well. You know, one one final thing for me, I, I, I'm always curious about the running back position and the differences when it comes to preparing running backs because it's deemed a high-risk position. When you are working with special running backs, is there anything that you do differently for running backs that you do for other guys at other positions to try and make sure that they're at their best when it comes to, a, I guess, a preventative measure from injury risk? Absolutely, man. Yeah, so I just actually started working with Saquon this year um started working with him this summer and been training him throughout the year uh and he's one that had you know he and i sat down and talked a lot about it i mean he, the, the way he was training throughout college was you know heavy kind of more olympic focused lifts which as you, when you're younger is really necessary in order for your development so it's important to know that high school and college kids that, that type of training is really good for them because it starts to develop a level of strength that, and baseline that they need in order to you know perform at their best and run as fast as they can and jump as high as they can. But once you get into the league, I think the biggest thing is is understanding what causes injuries. Like, what is it that causes injuries? And generally, number one, it's, it's like I told you guys, it's injury history. So we look at that. Number two, it's imbalance between left and right leg. Number three is we really look at you know where are what's their range of motion? Are they able to you know what's their internal rotation of their lower legs? Because a lot of times when you see an athlete tear an ACL, like Jimmy Garoppolo is a great example their knee immediately collapses. So it collapses to the inside towards that other knee. And the lack of range, you know, ability to range of motion of internal rotation of that femur will actually cause ACL rupture due to the fact that they, the, the, the femur cannot um, fully rotate in, inward. And I think that's, you know, you want to see a really good balanced internal external rotation of the femur. And that's something we work on with Saquon. Like he had really limited internal rotation. His glute beads were really weak. So the smaller stabilizer muscles that are responsible for joint stability and injury prevention are the ones that really are, need the most focus. So it's funny because the first time I worked with him, he, we did body weight only. And he was like, wait, we're not going to like get on the bar or anything. And I'm like, no, we're just going to do body weight stuff. And, and then at the end of the workday, he's like, that was the hardest workout I've ever had in my life. And it's because, <laughs> you know, they're, they're working muscles they've never worked before. And, and when you're constantly doing the same thing all over and over for four years, which is like the, the squatting and Olympic lifting, and that t- those types of exercises, your body's n- never needed to build up those stabilizer, you know, smaller muscles. So it's, um, it's one of those things where you, you focus on the smaller muscles when they get in the league. When they're younger, you can 
work on the bigger, you know, driving muscles, the muscles that are going to, you know, allow them to run fast and jump high. But as they get to the league, you got to really focus on like the, the VMO, the glute med, really strengthening the hips and then improving range of motion to be ba- as balanced and symmetrical as possible um, is really the goal. But with Saquon, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a balance of like getting him to understand that and, and, getting him mentally to change. Cause I think a lot of these guys, I mean, with Marcus Mariota, it was, it was like a two year process for us, which was getting his mind to shift from, I want to push myself as hard as I possibly can in every workout to thinking and working much, much smarter. Um, because, you know, as, as these guys know, it's, it's, it's about the, it's the marathon, not a sprint. And they, they, they need to understand that. So, um, I think the difference is, is in, the, in the running back position, they're going to take a lot more hits. They're going to take a lot more hits from the side. So joint stability and really taking care of their lower hat, lower corner is going to be really important. So a lot of hip strength, um, a lot of balance and stabilization is really important as well, as much as the explosive type power movements that you would do in the weight room as well. Last question for me, Ryan. I'm just curious from a technology standpoint, you know, wh- where are we headed here in terms of where this can go in the training aspect of it? We talked earlier in the in the fall about how we thought eventually we're going to get to the point where virtual reality stuff with with even combine interviews, putting glasses on guys, quarterbacks, and being able to work through progressions and see what they see, um, that's something we could see coming in the future here in in the evaluation process. I know the GPS thing is big, you know, coming from from soccer and now everybody in football using that. What, What can be next? What's next in technology in your side of things? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're already using a lot of, like, instrumented treadmills, so force plate treadmills. We're using force plates to get an idea of, like, I'll give you an example. So, like, an athlete coming off of an ACL injury, a surgery um, post-op, probably three months post-op, they're, they, don't, they don't have the ability to shock absorb in the, in the surgically repaired knee. So we get them on force plates, and we show them and teach them, look at, look at how well you're able to shock absorb on the non-injured side, and then when you, when you, when you work on the involved side, the surgical repaired side, you're, you're unable to shock absorb. So we're using data to kind of show the athletes and, and to support kind of the, the things we're seeing. And a lot of times as trainers, you know, I, I, the first part of my career I was doing it with the naked eye and just hoping I was right. And now we actually have data to, to support and show us whether or not what we're seeing is, is real or not. And I think that's, the, the data supported kind of training is really where it's all it, we already are. I think it's just going to continue down that path further and further. I think the limitations we have right now using data in training is just the fact that, you know, especially in a football team with a football team, you got, you know, 53 plus practice squad guys to train every single week that like getting that many people through and tested is, 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 is pretty tough. And especially when you only have one or something and you most, most teams only purchase one. So it, it, yeah. you're kind of limited in who you can test. So I, I think the fir- where we're going to keep going is more data-informed kind of measurements. So rather than just running a 40 and jumping a vertical or doing a 5-10-5, I think where we're going to start looking into is more, more, more data to support, you know, what instead of doctors just kind of poking and prodding athletes, like getting them on, you know, force plates or force plate treadmills to really get an understanding of imbalances and asymmetries and, and some of the things that they can work on. And I, I think the thing is, too, what people got to realize is it's not just to – to um, look at athletes and say, oh, we're not going to pick him based on this. It's more, I think, I think also it's just extra information. I think the more information we have, the better to help athletes stay healthier, you know, um, be able to, to, to survive some of these pretty traumatic injuries and still come back and play at a really high level. I mean, you look at a guy like Russell Wilson, I've worked with him since he's been in the league, and his ability to stay on the field healthy, taking the amount of hits he takes, I think a lot of it's just because he exposes his body and he understands how to stress his body in the offseason to get ready for the season. He does a really good job of that. I think he's kind of setting the standard. Tom Brady obviously, you know, does an amazing job of it as well, um, of just kind of getting themselves ready and, and kind of using data to support um, and inform their training program rather than just using kind of, you know, kind of blindly 
writing workouts for the whole team. Um, I think more personalized, informed, you know, nutrition and blood work and all that stuff is already here. It's just how how fast it gets integrated at the NFL at the NFL level at the team level. I think is going to it'll be interesting to see. That is fascinating stuff, man. We we appreciate you giving us so much time here today, Ryan. I always enjoy chatting with you, and I just want to leave you with this. Just be comfortable in knowing the fact that I am perfectly balanced. The left side of my body is equally <laughs> as weak as the right side of my body, so it is, it is beautifully Listen, balanced. I just, I just had a kid uh, three months ago, so I am full dad bod mode right now, so I totally understand what you're saying. Right now. I can't. Yeah. Hey, 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 bro, times four, buddy, times four. Yeah, then you know, know how. I, then no, you know where I am. I, Cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. I don't know how you guys do what you do. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Well, great. Hey, I look for. We'll catch up with you. We'll catch up when you get down here in Southern California. We'll stop by. Sounds good, man. Look forward to it. All right, thanks, Ryan. All right, Buck. Always, uh, always fun to catch up with Mr. Flaherty. I feel like uh, he's such a great resource to have as we go towards the draft. He's going to get his chance to uh, to get his hands on a lot of these athletes that are going to be talking about here as we run up to the draft. And look, he's able to really convey a lot of experience that he's had working with great players, um, the Drew Breeses, the Russell Wilsons. Uh, he mentioned Saquon Barkley. Take all that experience and then really share that knowledge with the young guys that he'll work with this year in the 2019 class. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for anyone who is working with him to not only learn about um, how to get their bodies ready to perform at their best at the combine, but how to be a pro. I think that is the biggest thing that I took out of that conversation how to be a pro. How do you show up and put yourself in a position to have a long, successful career? He knows it because he's worked with some of the best and brightest at the positions. I always find it funny. Thing was, oh, you know, it's just a durable guy. Like, it's you, you, you know, some guys are lucky, they're durable. Other guys aren't. They're unlucky. They're always injured. No, no, no. Guys like Russell Wilson don't get hurt for a reason because they put in the countless hours of work in injury prevention. It's not just training, getting bigger, faster, and stronger. It's all about that, that pliability is the big word that uh, – that Tom Brady likes to use, and being able to, to do some things that are going to help you to prevent those injuries from taking place. And I think you see that with a lot of the top athletes. Absolutely. I think you have to understand, like, the way we're going with training, uh, Tom Brady and some of the guys have been at the forefront of the movement really trying to educate uh, young athletes how to take care of their bodies, how to put themselves in a position to not only have success but to have sustained success over an extended period of time. It is all about the preparation and the work that you do in the offseason that gives you an opportunity to be a great player during the season. Right, let's jump into some college stuff here. First of all, let's uh, let's keep an eye on the draft here. Rashawn Gary announced he's coming out. I'm guessing maybe he won't play in the bowl game then if he's already made that announcement. Oh, I think, uh, I think, I think we'll see a lot of these guys. Like now that oh, yeah. they know they're not going to play in these marquee bowl games, I yeah. don't think we'll see many of the top That's guys participate. And I think also with the redshirt rule, I think you'll see more teams basically use the bowl game as a launching point for spring ball. I'm kind of excited for the bowl season to see like some that. of the young guys get on the field. I think it's brilliant. I think it's one of the best things the NCAA has done in quite some time. It's going to make this the first game of next season, basically, instead of the last game of this season. See some of these red shirts get pulled and see these guys get out there. But Rashawn Gary announced he's coming out. Nikhil Harry, uh, wide receiver from Arizona State, announced he's coming out. Uh, we have uh, Metcalf announced he's coming out, wide receiver from Ole Miss. So starting to see these names start to, to trickle out here, Buck. Yeah, because we already know Bosa's coming out, Nick Bosa's coming out, and then Ed Oliver has already previously announced that he was coming out. So, yeah, we know this. And I think the thing that will shape up uh, in this draft, we know it's a defensive-heavy draft. There's going to be a lot of guys up front that can disrupt and not only disrupt running games but really can get after the passer. And 
there are a number of linebackers that will be in this draft that we will talk about um, being first-round picks because they can make plays in space against the passing game. I think the bigger thing is at the top of the board, when I look at the top ten, because I'm writing on this now, I'm looking at these teams at the top, Arizona Cardinals, San Francisco 49ers, Oakland Raiders, Jets, Giants, Bucks, Jaguars, Lions, Browns, and Dolphins. I don't know if these guys necessarily need defensive players. Some of these guys need quarterbacks and offensive weapons. How are they going to balance what they need versus what the draft brings them when it comes to the value and the guys who deserve to be graded as first-round talents? Yeah, I know. It's going to be interesting to see how that all marries itself up. By the way, last year we, we, uh, we termed it the year of the quarterback. We did it after the previous year's draft the very next day. We were the first ones. Mm-hmm. Everybody can else can claim they did it. We we were the first ones that said last year will be the year of the quarterback, and we saw five of them go in the first round. Now, for a long time, it's been phrased as this is going to be the year of the defensive lineman, right? Yep. I'm changing it. I'm giving it a new name. All okay? right. We're going to go forward because year of the defensive lineman doesn't really get focuses fired up. Nope. Okay? So when you watch NFL games right now, and we talk about – we always talk about, like, offenses, and we talk about players, mm-hmm. play callers, play mm-hmm. makers – when you watch these games, points up and down the field, but these games are being decided because guys are finding a way to make a play. It's a, it's a strip sack. It's a pick six yep. on defense. Offense, it's an explosive run. It's a big catch, big-time throw. This is the year of the playmaker. Oh, we can make the big bodies the playmaker. playmakers. Yeah, playmaker. But it, it because is, that's it what a guy all... like – that's like Rashawn Gary, the guys we just talked about, Rashawn Gary, Nikhil Harry. These guys are playmakers. They play different positions, but they're playmakers. That's what we're talking about. Absolutely, and that's the way that we talked about it. We talked about constructing a team, and we mentioned in those things, what, having three playmakers on each yep. side of the ball outside of the core positions of quarterback, offensive tackle, um, and, and some of those other things that we deem to be essentials. You have to have playmakers on each side of the ball, and you got to be able to position them. The thing that I, I, I want to see now, when we look at these playmakers, these pass rushers, not only on the outside, the value is now finding guys on the inside oh, yeah. that can it's rush. hard to find them. We will call it the Aaron Donald effect. Aaron Donald's ability to absolutely disrupt game plans because he's an inside pass rushing presence will make more and more teams look for those kind of guys in the draft. Yeah, no question. Uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch this uh, this draft unfold here. But a couple thoughts on a couple games here. But before we get there, uh, it's official. I think we talked about it a little bit on the on the show yesterday. But Mac Brown, it is official now. Your former coach is now your your alma mater's current coach here. Back to North Carolina for Mac Brown. Yeah, you know this is an interesting hire. Obviously, people are gonna look at the fact that he's 67 years old. He's been out of the game for five years. Um, how long can he be at North Carolina, and what can he bring to the table? Um, as a former player there, I think the big thing for him has little to do with X's and O's. What Carolina needed and what they're looking for is someone that can create the culture. We've had John Gordon on the program, and John Gordon, when he's yeah. always talking about team building, he talks about the culture that exists. The one thing that Coach Brown can do is he can set the vision for the culture that he wants in the football program and the community, connect the administrators with the alumni, the football program, and the recruits, and get everybody in the community on the same page. He'll hire a good coach. He'll get all of that. But I think the thing that he has to establish is get the culture right, the wins will eventually come. Oh. Look, you were talking about John Gordon, so I had to uh, show you the shirt that he sent me. Oh, stay positive. Stay positive. Hey, let's stay positive here. You know, if you're you're a North Carolina fan, you're excited about the move, that's great. If you're a North Carolina fan and you're a little bit – Nervous about it? Late. Stay positive. Stay that's positive. Stay John positive. And, that, and that's the funny thing because if anyone who has been around Coach Brown will say that he is 
the most positive man that you will ever find. Not one to necessarily berate and uh, badger his players. He believes in trying to find a civil lining in every outcome. And so we'll see how this works. Um, the main thing is we have now seen two older coaches get jobs, two guys that have won championships. Les Miles. Yeah. Les Miles going to Kansas trying to kind of – Jumpstart the culture at Kansas. He is a guy that has been successful, obviously won a national title at LSU. Coach Brown going to North Carolina after winning a title at Texas. Um, we'll see if these old dogs have some new tricks that they can kind of spring on the opposition. I'm excited to see both of these guys, but really excited to see Coach Brown back in North Carolina. Yeah, no, I, I was, uh, you know, knowing knowing you and knowing the dynamics of that program and hearing you explain it, it makes more sense of why they did go in that direction. As somebody that is proud of my program and proud of my coach, I was surprised they didn't talk to Scott Satterfield. It's kind of a weird position for me to be in because I have I have a good relationship with with Coach Satterfield. He was coaching there when I was there, um, and I I'm, I'd love to see him stay at App State as, as somebody who went to school there because the program's in great shape and they continue to ascend. Um, but the other side of it too is you want him to be wanted, just be be respected for the job that he's done there. And being mm-hmm. in state, I thought, man, I can't believe North Carolina didn't even talk to him. Uh, but hearing you kind of describe it, it, it makes more sense. If this was this was not really an X's and O's on the field football decision, more of a family decision. It is more family decision, and you know it's funny because in back to back off seasons, we've kind of seen the CEO types kind of get Herm hired. Edwards, yeah. Herm Edwards at Arizona State, kind of being the CEO guy, having the coaches run it, but he kind of set the vision of the program. And we're saying it's been okay. They're seven and five. They had a decent year, but his guys played hard for him. We'll see if Coach Brown kind of is able to use that same model to get North Carolina jump started. Um, I think it's fascinating what is going on in the college football landscape when it comes to these coaching jobs and these hires because everyone is looking for the hot offensive guru that can kind of oh, yeah. jump started. The thing that I'm seeing, though, everyone plays the same style ball. At some point, you have to be a little different if you're going to make some gains. Um, I kind of liken it to USC. Uh, I was having a conversation uh, with a former Trojan about mm-hmm. USC after Clay Helton was announced that he was going to return. And I said, man, what's funny about USC is USC, to me, is a blue blood, uh, a blue blood organization, blue blood program. Top five, top five program. Top five program, question. yet yeah. they are playing – as if, no disrespect to Washington State, but they play yeah. like they're Washington State. They yeah. have superior athletes, but yet they play a style that is almost what I call a trick em dick em style rather than yeah. we're better than you, we're going to knock you out, and that's how we play. It has to be disappointing for SC alums to look at it and be like, man, why are we doing all of this stuff when we are a team that should be able to play like Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, any Clemson. of those teams. Yeah, Clemson, like, they should be an established program. They get five-star recruits from all over. Even if they just stay in their backyard in Southern California, they should be better than some of the teams that they're losing to. It has to be disappointing when you look at them. Well, I, you can talk about that real quick here with Clay Helton coming back. Um, that was an interesting press release. Uh, it talked about how Lynn Swan said, you know, we realize there are some deficiencies and name in culture, ten of them. toughness, leadership. Like it was like on and on and on. Like like that ain't like a small problem there, buddy. And then you hear Clay Helton reference, you know, this is just like what Notre Dame was. This is a blip. You know, Notre Dame had that year a couple years ago. They had that down year. Uh, had all those injuries, and I think they they didn't go to a bowl game, and then they bounced back the next year, and they've been great mm-hmm. ever since. He said, you know, because coach made a couple changes. No, 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 he didn't make a couple changes. He fired like 17 guys. They cleaned out the whole operation. So I don't know if Clay Helton. That's the challenge is going to be. Well, Everybody think- says he's a great guy, and we've been we've been around him. He, Clay's an awesome guy. Great. Mm-hmm. I think he's a good football coach. I think he's a great guy. 
But this needs to be a gut job. I mean, he has to completely well, gut this organization. I don't know if he's going to do that. Well, a couple of things because uh, a few years ago before they got back on track and he got them into the championship game, he talked about Stanford and he talked about the way Stanford played their level of toughness. He talked about the way Stanford can run the ball and they can physically overwhelm you. Well, his words don't match what I see when I look no, at SC play. When I see physical, SC play, not they're not, not a tough. physical team. They're not a tough team, and they're very, very finesse in the way they approach it. I believe if I'm SC, SC is built on student body right. The one thing that we're going to do, we're going to go back to the old John McKay days. We're going to line up in the I formation. We're going to come downhill. And that's not saying that you have to necessarily abandon the spread, but I think it's more of a mindset, a mentality. You can run it out of the spread. SC needs to run the football. They need to be a physical team, and I would expect them to play like Notre Dame plays. The one thing that I see when I look at Notre Dame, they are a physical, hard-nosed team. SC has to figure out how to establish or reestablish that toughness and that grit in their program this offseason. That's a bigger question, though. The bigger question is, do you do you do you train and develop toughness, or do you recruit toughness? Oh, I that's think that's the question. I think it's a little bit of both. I think you have to you have to recruit tough guys. I want mm. tough, hard nosed guys, guys who have a story, and then everyone in the program that is coaching. Toughness has to be at the forefront of everything that we do in the strength and conditioning program, how we go about our practices. Physicality and toughness have to be priorities at SC. Another thing, uh, real quick here, just to touch on one game. I don't, we don't need to get into too many of these games here. Uh, but the big one was Ohio State smashing Michigan. And uh, we talked about it off, off air, Buck. And to me, it was just, man, it, there, was a, there was a speed difference on that field. There's a speed difference. And for all of the things that I give Jim Harbaugh a ton of credit for, I do believe Michigan is tough. I do believe they're physical. I like the way that they play stylistically. However, in a game like that against Ohio State, you saw the deficiencies when it comes to athletes. Ohio State's team is built like an SEC team when it comes to their overall team speed. And so the gains that Michigan must make on Ohio State, they have to become faster. They have to be able to match their athletes with their explosiveness. In the secondary, especially. Until they're able to do that, they're going to have a tough time going toe-to-toe with Ohio State, whether it's at home or away. Last one here. Seven overtime game, a win for Texas A&M against LSU uh, there in College Station. I was trying to think back. I know my Redshirt freshman year, I think, might have been one of the first years that they had overtime. Uh, I don't remember. This was back in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do remember playing in three games at Northeast Louisiana that year, three overtime games. And I think I played in one. I know I played in one overtime game. Uh, no, more than one. But one, I know we beat Wake Forest in overtime my sophomore year when I was at App State. So I played in maybe a handful of overtime games. The most maybe went to the second. I don't know. Maybe even one went to the third overtime. But, man, seven overtimes. Have you ever played anything like that? No. In high school, we played a triple overtime game on homecoming, and I remember being absolutely tapped out and exhausted. Um, I can imagine playing a seven-overtime game. I think that's – man, you talk about health and safety of your players. You are really, really emptying the bucket in those. From an emotional standpoint, from a physical exertion uh, standpoint as well, it is just tough to kind of get it going for that long. But – Look, hats off to Texas A&M for being able to pull off. But hats off to LSU's guys. I don't think if you're Ed Ogeron, you can come and be disappointed because I believe both teams emptied the bucket. It's just one of those things where Texas A&M made one more play than LSU was able to make. No question. All right, let's let's see what happens here in these championship games. We'll talk about those on the next episode here on Move the Sticks. There's going to be some fun games 
to preview. I will not mention any more about me being in first place on the college picks because that's just bragging, and that's not what I do. That's not what I'm about. Uh, but looking forward to uh, to picking those games tomorrow. Anything you're working on here you want to promote here, Buck? No, nah, just uh, – Continue to begin to put together this list of prospects that we got to look, man. I feel like I'm a little bit behind when it comes to looking at the prospects, but I'll jump on it. And then trying to put the schedule together for the bowl game tour. What games can we hit up to see these top prospects in these marquee games? Well, we'll have something to to discuss here on the next episode we jump into uh, these championship games and where we could be headed for these bowl game matchups. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys for listening, downloading, leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. We do appreciate that. Uh, Kent, nice work. Cam, nice work. Uh, David Singer, great job uh, getting us the guests that he gets us each and every week on Move the Sticks. Uh, We'll see you next time, and it'll be shortly here on Move the Sticks. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org for free confidential services. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Are you looking to build this year? If so, there is no better time than right now to start planning and to get your spot on the construction schedule. If you need a garage, a stall barn, a storage for vehicles, RV, boat, collectibles, or even a, a shop for your farm, hobbies, or car restoration projects, visit mortonbuildings.com and start your construction process with superior materials craftsmanship best in class warranty morton buildings are made to last for generations at morton the difference is in the details from their cutting edge innovations to their craftsmen in the field they are dedicated to surpassing expectations their legacy of excellence spans more than 120 years and morton buildings is 100% employee-owned with more than a quarter million satisfied customers. That means they're the industry leader you can trust. When you choose Morton, you'll experience quality at every step of the building process, starting before the walls even go up. Visit mortonbuildings.com to get started today.